Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome to the Bird Rights. My name is Preston Ellis, and I'm the host for the new home to all things Pelicans on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Follow us at the Bird Rights and get all the latest on your Pelicans at thebirdrights.com. fans welcome to our part two episode here today on the bird calls i'm your host preston ellis and today we are previewing the pels pacers matchup with tom lewis of indy cornrows but first let's recap last week and preview next week with the ever-flowing optimist our leader and commander ali cosell what's up dude <laughs> i love that new title i mean last week wasn't i debbie downer i don't know anyways it's good to be back we haven't talked in a while the three of us so i'm looking forward to this I know, Ollie, you're kind of like the weather. You know? Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You know, you're up, you're down, you're hot, you're cold, you're windy, you're rainy. No, I'm just kidding. You actually have been pretty spot on with all your assessments. Uh, since the week before the season, you correctly predicted their win-loss record going into their first two weeks. And you just have like a pretty good dial uh, so far. <laughs> okay, thank you, Ali. Uh, we just edited out the dumbest thing I've possibly said this year. Uh, let's go ahead and erase that and welcome his counterpart and our other negative Nancy here today, Kevin Berrios. What's up, dude? Oh, nothing much. Just uh, getting my life back on track after, after a week on the road. Yeah, Kevin's been killing it out on the road with his band, and I so famously stood him up when he put me on the list, uh, like the kind-hearted gentleman he is, and I just uh, left him there standing and wanting, so I'm sorry about that, but glad to have you back. Follow Kevin at Kevin B for Balance and Ali at Ali Cosell. Before we get started, just wanted to send our thoughts and prayers to the people of Sutherland, Texas, outside of San Antonio. I don't know about Ali and Kevin, but uh, I've got a couple of family people in that area. None of them were affected. Uh, but just too much senseless violence recently. I've got a lot of friends in Las Vegas. Of course, I live here in Orlando with the pole shootings. And it just seems like these things are coming out more regularly. So we just want to send our, our best wishes to all the residents of San Antonio and the people affected and anyone around that area. Uh, best wishes. Hope everybody is well and hope to put an end to this senseless violence. Anything you guys want to add? Oh, man, that's good for me. All right, let's yeah, get going. Yeah, I agree, Preston. This, this just, just somehow, someway got to stop, you know. It's, it's one thing after another, seems like, every week or every other week. Yeah, it's it definitely uh, it's coming out with more regularity. And this is not a political podcast by any means. So let's just skip to sports and, our, and make sure that everybody is, is well and safe. Um, 
So best wishes to all of our friends who are in Texas. Uh, Ali, since we last spoke, the Pelicans fell to the Magic 115 to 99, the Wolves 104 to 98 before splitting the week with 99, 94, 96, 90 victories over the Mavericks and Bulls. As ugly as it's been, the Pelicans currently sit five and five, exactly where we hope they'd be after the first uh, three weeks of the season. They're currently sodded in ninth, but they're only half a game back of uh, three different teams. I can't remember on hand who they are. But you have an article up on thebirdrice.com right now describing why the Pelicans deserve more credit than they're getting. Make your case, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Um, go, you know, going into the season, we knew the team was going to be shorthanded. So right then and there, especially missing the floor general, you knew there was going to be some bumps, early season bumps. And the schedule was tough and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But long story short, there there was no way this team was going to race off to any start. And um, we've kind of seen that. Now, recently, as you mentioned, the play's kind of been a little more subpar. The energy level hasn't been there. But then you got to look at some other factors. The minutes, for instance, the core guys are playing. It's just ridiculous. And you can blame the coaching staff all you want, but who else is he going to put out there? You've... Uh, You've got Darius Miller. You've got a bunch of role players who have not been playing up to par, but suddenly a few of them are showing signs, so that's a positive. But in general, you've just got to, you know, there's there's streaks pressing where teams go on, and this is just part of the schedule where the Pelicans, we don't know who they are yet, but this could be the part of the schedule where they're, they're just having that rough go of it, where things haven't been clicking, things aren't coming together. So th- these are the weather, the, the storm moments. And looking back on it down, you know, come April, this might be where I, the Pelicans make the playoffs because instead of starting off at two and eight, one and nine, they held their ground, won some bad games, sure, but they won. And that's what matters. Uh, being five and five compared to one nine last two seasons is just huge. Um, and you know what? The stats don't really say that we've been as bad as, you know, our eye tests are telling us, yeah, these guys have been bad. So honestly, I don't foresee them being or continuing down this path. I don't expect Drew Holiday to look like a train wreck um, and lost. Um, and you've got Dante Cunningham, who still can't find the bomber, and suddenly each one more and Ian Clark are struggling. You just don't expect all these things to stay constant through the rest of the season. So I think there's even some hope. Once you, the team comes, uh, some of the players come back from injury, and you've got Rondo back leading the ship. Um, I don't know. I mean, you've got to factor all this in, like I said at the start. So. Yeah, five and five. I'm taking it. What about you, Kevin? Well, um, I I agree with a lot of what you said, um, but I, you know, especially the part, you know, like you hear people saying like it's a it's a bad win, and I mean I said that I made a joke. It was an immoral uh, immoral victory against the Bulls, but um, the thing is, is like you said, um, we started off terribly the last few years. So if we do get things together and right some of the problems that we are seeing right now that having these wins in the bag will obviously help us um, to, to try to make a strong playoff push towards the end. But if if we're just accepting of the wins and stick with the status quo, which obviously is not going to happen because we're going to get players back and things like that, that's going to have opportunity for change. Um, it, it's troubling if, the, if things don't change. Um, but uh, I still think, you know, I mean, I, I've never been a fan of this coach. I think our players are better than they look out there right now. Um, and I think a part, a lot of it is, is just his philosophy. Um, you know, we've heard all off season about trying to get responsibility out of Drew Holiday's hands. Um, 
yet he has to be the point guard right now in this in this offense with Rondo out to start start the game, and we're running an offense that relies on reading and reacting in the half court instead of calling some plays where there's a, de- a definitive motion action plan in place that he doesn't have to think so much. Now we're having him have to think again, which is what we've been saying is his problem, and he's playing terrible. And if you had just if we just have one guard or or two other players play at their average level of what they should be playing with how AD and DeMarcus Cousins are playing right now, you know, these would be much better wins. We wouldn't see these collapses towards the end of every quarter, towards the end of every game where we just give up a huge run and, uh, you know, diminish the lead that we built. And then also, you know, the pace we're playing at when we have hardly any players to play and, our two most, uh, you know, our, our dominant players are two big men. One of them's 270-pound guy who's definitely not used to running the floor like he has to. We're asking him to push the ball in transition. He's our main three-point shooter. And as Joel Myers pointed out in, the, I think it was the Bulls game, right, where he said, you know, in the first half of games, we're first in the NBA in three-point percentage, but in the second half, we're 30th. And that's clearly a sign of fatigue and asking this, this huge man to to run and and push the ball and move so much that uh, he's worn out by the end of the game and has got jelly legs and is jacking up shots. And I also, I mean, I just have, I've always had a problem with that being the main focus of him playing, playing either of our bigs out uh, by the arc, because I mean, what's the point of having two dominant bigs if you're playing them like guards? Like I get the idea that it's great that they, have those skills and you should use them from time to time. But at the same time, those guys are elite around the basket and having at least one of them near the basket all the time should be the focus because that's what they do. It's like, you know, um, I, I don't know how many musicians you guys know, but like I, I see this happen a lot with like, say like a, a bass player. He's like, I have a couple of friends that are really incredible bass players they're amazing bass players, but then they all want to play guitar and they start to like play guitars in other bands or they start playing baritone guitars or tune their guitars and their bass guitars in a way that they sound like guitars. It's like, just be the thing that you're really good at. You're still, you're still going to be good as a guitar player because you're a great musician and you have creativity and you have, um, you have rhythm and all of that. But do the thing that you're amazing at and don't worry about trying to be diverse or try to be the uh, face of a, of a new movement or something, just dominate in what you're great at and use your strengths. And, and I think that Alvin Gentry is the exact wrong coach for DeMarcus Cousins because he has that tendency to want to play more like a guard. And then this coach is like just egging that on and just encouraging it. And, of course, he's putting up incredible numbers because he's an incredible player. But he could be even better, and he could be helping his team better if he's playing more like a big man. I mean, if you have him at, out beyond the three-point line, teams are just single covering him, and then he's not helping his teammates by having by drawing a double or a triple and then being able to kick out of that, or he's not being around the rim to clean up a miss because he's out there. I mean, if you ask the opponent what they want, what shot they want to give him, they want to give him that three all the time. Please live out 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 of the paint. Please live out past the elbow. That's what they want, and it's just frustrating because look, we're winning games, 
and those two looked incredible but just a slight tweak to the system and we would be so much better and it's just frustrating that we're we continue to play with one coach tied behind our back you know and it's uh it's troubling if they don't make any changes soon because these close wins these ugly wins are going to start being losses Ollie, I understand both your arguments. I just want to touch on some of the things that Kevin said before I throw it over to you. Uh, just when we talk about wins, you know, wins are all that matter at the end of the day. Uh, Joe Myers even said on the telecast uh, last night, he said, you know, once you get to the last two or three weeks of the season, nobody's going to go back and ask, well, how did they beat the Bulls? How did they manage to squeeze past the Dallas Mavericks? You know, none of that stuff matters. But it does matter now because right now these two teams may, may very well be the absolute worst teams in the East and the West and the Bulls and the Mavericks on top of the wins over the the Lakers and the Kings. And it took 125 combined minutes from Boogie Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday to defeat these two teams in back-to-back nights. The Pelicans uh, fell to the Wolves, even though I think they only held Carl Anthony Town to two points on the night. Now, before I touch uh, a little bit more on this, some stuff that we were talking about uh, with Kevin, uh, talking about DeMarcus Cousins not playing like a big man. Now, the Pelicans currently sit uh, second overall in points in the paint. I, I understand you can attribute a lot of that to Anthony Davis. We also sit fourth uh, defensively rebounding per game. And while DeMarcus Cousins does tail off in the second half of games, uh, he's still at 33%. He's still our best three-point shooter. And uh, the question that I do want to ask you before we delve more into these numbers is Kevin mentioned something about the the Pelicans not scoring well in the second half of games. And according to uh, teamrankings.com, the Pelicans are eighth in scoring in the first quarter, 11th in scoring in the second quarter. Then they drop to 27th in the third quarter and 28th in the fourth quarter. Ali, talk a little bit about how drastic these differences are between offensive scoring in the first half and the second half. And is it just fatigue? You know, I want to attribute a lot of it is due to fatigue because nothing I've looked at, and uh, I discussed this with Kevin before he started the show, was pace. In the first quarter and second quarter, the Pelicans are flying high. Um, they're among the fastest teams out there and pushing the pace. But it slows down drastically in the third quarter. In the fourth quarter, it comes to a crawl. Um, and not surprisingly, that's when we, I guess we start seeing the offense bog down. You have a little bit more trouble scoring. But here's an interesting thing that I'm staring at right now, and it's during clutch minutes, and it's kind of throwing everything that we've just said into the fire. The Pelicans have played a lot of clutch minutes, and what that means is the score is within five either way and uh, in, in the last five minutes of the game. Um, the Pelicans in 10 games have uh, been in close situations and finished games seven times. That leads the league. Uh, they've spent a total of 26 minutes. But get this, the net rating is a positive 32. And the pace, it, I mean, it, it's beyond the snail's crawl. It's an 88.29. So we're, we're playing like a snail, but you know what? It's being completely effective. All I can assume from all these numbers that we've talked about is, yes, the, the fatigue gets us. But when it comes down to crunch time, these guys are still able to focus. And honestly, it makes me now question the theory that this coaching staff is operating and that the fastest pace possible is a good thing for this team because guess what? With this super slow pace, they're crazy effective. They got one of the best offenses and defenses and it's leading, you know, pretty much to all the wins they've had. I mean, if we weren't playing this well to finish off games, you know, we could be staring at another one and nine. So I don't know what to make of these numbers, Preston. It's 10 games. And, yes, these guys don't have enough help. That's the starters and the main core guys. 
So it's not surprising to see the pace of the degree, the point production uh, slow down, all the above. But the fact that now I'm looking at these numbers where they're actually really effective when the game's on the line, maybe we should question what Kevin just said. Maybe Alvin Gentry's system honestly isn't the right one. Um, since I'm seeing this for the first time, this is about all I've got, but this is something definitely i got to look into more because, let's face it, I mean, you, you want to keep Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, DeMarcus Cousins, all those guys on the floor healthy. And by us running them in the ground isn't helping. And maybe slowing it down somehow, some way would be the best solution for this roster going forward. I don't know. That's very interesting. Kevin, uh, first of all, we're talking to Ali Cosell and Kevin Barry also on the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Kevin, we, uh, Ali just mentioned the large minute loads both AD and Boogie are averaging early on the season. Boogie, I believe, is at 39 minutes per game, and AD is slightly below that, but that's uh, to be attributed to the Portland game where he exited uh, earlier than six minutes in. And yet in last night's matchup against the Bulls on the second uh, half of a back-to-back, Check Diallo and Josh Smith, the team's two backup bigs, got big fat DNPs from Gentry. And Dante, the team's only feasible backup four, although he's been starting at the three this season, got pulled in the third after playing just 22 minutes. Are you discouraged that the Pelicans don't seem to have any faith in the only two big men on the roster? And is Alexis Agensa really going to solve all these problems when he's back in four weeks? Well, yeah, it's discouraging. I mean, that we've been saying that since the off season that the, you know, the backup big situation is one of the biggest question marks, maybe even more than the wing, because you could get away with having Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins playing with three guards because you could get your size made up with those two monsters out there. Um, so it's always been a question mark and it is troubling and it is the main thing they need to sort out. It's the, they need to have another guy that can come in and spell those guys and play along with, the other player on the court because even when when those two aren't paired together um we're seeing more of a drop off i think this year than we did last year when they weren't paired together um so you know it sort of hurts the staggering plan of always having one of them out there because they're just not that effective because there is not another quality big man i mean dante's in this huge slump and you're asking him to be the starting three at the same time so um, that that's a huge problem that still needs to be addressed for sure. Yeah, Ali, what's your take on this? I mean, it seems like there's no solution in sight because they don't have faith in Czech Diallo. And uh, I had his numbers right in front of me. Here they are. Two points on two shots in eight minutes per game with a plus minus of negative uh, four and a half. Uh, is he going to be able to contribute minutes this season, or how are the Pelicans going to find a backup four or five who can spell Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins? They need to. That's for sure. Um, check, check the Diallo, none of us, I don't think, truly expected him to crack the rotation. They they looked, took a good hard look at him in the preseason, and we all saw that he, he was going to struggle. But then all of a sudden, Alexia Jensa joins Omer Sheik on the injured reserve. And guess what? Alvin Jenkins got no more options. So in the minutes that we have seen Diallo out there, as you just alluded to, haven't been good. Um, the guy is honestly just not ready to contribute. So, yeah, that's yet another reason why AD and the Boogie are out there for so many minutes, And but that can't continue. Um, I can kind of understand why they've done it early in the season because I know in high injury, when, when there's a lot of injuries that hit teams, they will, everybody will play a little bit more. Um, so this, this was always kind of expected when the season started, but 
on a back-to-back, -back, man, that's just a killer. Um, you can just see DeMarcus Cousins isn't the same when he's not rested. So that that's a huge concern going forward. And right now, that Josh Smith signing isn't paying dividends. Um, if you're going to sign somebody, bring in an emergency, this guy better be able to contribute um, in an emergency situation. The fact that he's not been thrown out there, and the few minutes we have seen him, he just really hasn't done anything, just doesn't look like he's ready to you know, provide what the Pelicans need. Um, you might as well start looking in, in another direction. I'm hoping the Pelicans are, because uh, this, this can't remain the status quo. Um, everybody knows. A lot of minutes, a lot of uh, periods where normal rest is taken away, that tends to increase the chances for injury. So, wow, if one of, you know, God forbid, but if something like that was to strike either AD or Boogie, wow. I mean, we're talking maybe the rest of the season's already gone, you know. So, yeah, they, they've got to make it a primary, primary concern and address it immediately. Um, and I would first look to, you know, go ahead replace Josh Smith because apparently Alvin Gentry doesn't like what he sees of playing minutes. So that's why I'm not too much overly concerned about the yeah, It's not his fault. He was, you know, well before the season started, it wasn't on him to be that third guy. Um, and suddenly he was thrusting a roll and guess what? He wasn't ready. But as for Josh Smith, you've got to look elsewhere. I mean, Preston, that, that, that's where they got to look right now. If they're not like trying to consider other trades, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure the, the front office is, but in the meantime, you can't keep going like this. You're absolutely right. AD and Boogie can't keep staying over 40 minutes. Uh, Kevin, um, the Pelicans certainly uh, are, are having struggles with turnovers right now. And uh, we've talked a lot about the uh, the hamperedness that they've been going through at the beginning of the season. I'm not even sure if that's a word, hamperedness. Uh, well, they're, they're seemingly playing with two hands behind their backs because they're out with five guys, although we never really expected Frank Jackson and Solomon Hill to contribute anything due to the nature of their injuries and Frank Jackson being 19 years old. But Rajon Rondo is somebody who will be back soon. Jameer Nelson has been playing well, but has only been averaging about 20 minutes per game. Rajon Rondo seems like he's going to play a bit more than that. The Pelicans are 26th in the NBA in turnovers right now. Do you think Rajon Rondo can come in and kind of uh, quell that uh, those those miscues that the Pelicans seem to be having each game? Uh, or do you think there's going to be, a, I don't know, a, a slower entry for him into the system and bringing him off the bench at, at the beginning? Wow, I have really been running around myself with these words. Kevin, what, what impact do you think Rajon Rondo has in three or four weeks? And do you think he's thrust right into the starting lineup? Yeah, I mean, I think he'll go right back into the starting lineup. I don't know that he'll play... Uh, you know, more than 30 minutes or even, you know, he might play 25 minutes or something like that when he first gets introduced uh, back into the system. But I think he will be just thrust back in the starting spot because why not? I mean, you want those guys to get used to uh, playing with each other. And having him back will solve several problems. One thing is you can change the starting lineup up where you could get Cunningham out of the starting lineup and play three guards. And then, um, you know, maybe Cunningham coming in as the third, purely as the third big will, you know, get him back to playing how he was last year or hopefully even a little better than that. We'll see. But the other thing it does is, you know, like I said, the, the big thing that everybody was concerned about was Drew Holiday's decision-making and you're running an offense that requires uh, reading and reacting. And when he has the ball, that's definitely not his strong suit. Whereas if it's not in Boogie's hands, it'll be in Rondo's hands. And he's gonna he he's instinctual. He understands what's going on on the floor. So 
that that'll help uh, with ball movement and the right kinds of passes. Um, but the other thing is like I'm just I'm like frustrated watching the the free flow plan because I like it in transition. I think it's cool in transition, but when we get when the first action breaks down or when it's a you know a half court set to begin with, we should be running more plays. We'll run more pick and rolls. Run run stuff that. Um, People know what they're supposed to do because I'm watching guys cut to the same spot and there'll be like three people standing right by each other instead of like creating space by movement they're actually like drawing defenders all to one spot and causing like this this cramp up and or like you know misfired passes because they didn't understand where the other person was going so that's why I wish they would change it now start running more plays you know till Rondo comes back and then sort of He's that more free flow style in the in the half court back in once Rondo's back and see how it works. But I would still love to see more set plays run and especially more pick and rolls. I mean, if I remember right, I think against um, Chicago, not I mean um, against uh, against Minnesota, I think I counted. We ran three pick and rolls. Like it was, it's crazy. You have two dominant big men, and we're not using them. And AD crashes the, the crashes to the rim like already anybody else in the league and we're not taking advantage of that like we should and you know it's it's just frustrating it doesn't make any sense to me i mean why are you gonna have your your two seven footers playing out by the perimeter and not taking advantage of uh beating people up i mean also get that's how we get people in foul trouble by having those guys banging down low and that's taking that away as well so i don't know i just I've never been a fan of the of this coach, and like as the season goes on, it's making me even less and less of one. Because I mean, clearly they knew that Holiday's decision making was an issue. We've heard assistant coaches on this podcast saying that. So why are you going to run this offense when Rondo's out with Drew Holiday basically being the point guard again? It doesn't make any sense. Now, we are talking to Ali Cosell and Kevin Barry Austin, the Bird Rides and Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. And this is something we've talked about uh, off air in detail. I blame a lot of things on Dell. Uh, Kevin uh, certainly blames a lot of things on Alvin. Let's just uh, dive right in on this, Ali. I know you probably don't want to answer this at this point in time because I don't think you're uh, as much on the bandwagon as Kevin and I are to to burn it down and start, start all over. Uh, not necessarily with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, obviously, but just with the front office folks. Let's start with Drew Holiday. Uh, he's been a dreadful uh, three and 13 against Dennis Smith uh, and I think against the Magic he had four points on the season he's not such a dreadful 13.5 points six assists and five rebounds in 37 minutes per game although it is on 42 percent shooting from the field 22 percent from three we saw glimpses of what he could be in wins uh, against the Cavaliers and the Kings what's it going to take to get that Drew Holiday at, at least every other night when the big so desperately need his help in taking the scoring load, and do you just blame it on like jitters or um, I don't know, just not trusting himself, or do you think that there's an element of coaching involved to not bringing the best out of Drew Holiday, as Kevin suggests? If, if I had the hundred percent answer, you know what, I would be black man in the Pelicans organization right now because I'd be a rich man. They would pay me. They've got to get Drew Holiday going. Everybody sees it. Everybody tries to cover it up a little bit, but. In fact, he's gone, like, say, last four games without a made three-pointer. And you know what? Most of his misses, they've been bad. They haven't been rimming out or anything. They've just been clanging off or, you know, to, to, to possibly have a game winner last night. It barely drew iron. You know, this this guy has been teetering 
you know, ever since the season started with the confidence and it goes back to last season. And I really, truly thought that this would be something they would have somehow been able to solve during the summer that either he would have spoken to the psychologist or just been happier, you know, knowing that his family isn't in as much danger, if at all, currently. I thought all these things would contribute to Drew just getting back to who he was, but apparently something's been shaken and he just somehow can't seem to find it. He's just overthinking, overanalyzing. And it seems to be exactly that to me, because how can a guy play well one quarter, then all of a sudden have a bad quarter, and then boom, in the third quarter, he's playing well again in the fourth. He's just overthinking things to me right now. And, you know, you can keep throwing the guy in the fire and hoping he snaps out of it. Great. But you know what? It hasn't worked yet. The, the only solution left to me is you've got to just switch roles with him. You've got to put the players that may get him out of that funk where he only has to basically be responsible for staying on the wing, waiting for his turn to cut. Or get, once he catches the pass um, after the ball's been swung, they go ahead and be aggressive. Maybe they honestly have to take a lot of it out of his hands. And as the Ke- what Kevin was saying, I completely agree. Um, Gentry and the coaching staff have got to, you know, reduce his role um, to come down towards the end of these games, having him entirely try and run the offense. And I want to say this, Kevin, this is one thing that I don't think you did touch on was they have been running some pick and rolls. They have been having Drew Holiday with the ball. And I don't think that's the right solution. I would almost rather see Boogie go ahead and start at the top of the key, but instead of him trying to do something, initiate, just go ahead and run some kind of set play. Um, it, it, I don't know whether, you know, we don't know who to blame here, whether the coaching staff or not, honestly, because they may be telling them, okay, you, you guys got to move here, here, and here, and then they come out of the timeout, and all of a sudden the first option is not available for a pass. So suddenly, obviously, there's a breakdown, and then you're asking the player who's got the ball to go ahead and try and make something out of it. And guess what? It's been Drew. So we don't exactly know what is failing here. Um, so I don't want to speculate any further on that, but, yeah. Drew Hawley hasn't been good. They've got to snap him out. And I think, honestly, they've got to just change his role. And until Rajon Ronda comes back, that means to me just more Jameer Nelson on the court. You know, if Boogie and AD aren't going to be bringing the ball up initiating offense, and yet they want to run these pick and rolls out of horns and such, do it with Jameer. Why not give him a chance? Let Drew just go ahead and float off to the uh, corner or, you know, something. They've got to try something, Preston, because this obviously hasn't worked to start the season. He's in that same shooting funk we saw him finish last season, committing the same turnovers. That's just, you know, they've got to find a way to fix that immediately. All right, Kevin, we've got a lot of role players to touch on, so I'm just going to run through them real quick. Uh, Darius Miller's been playing really well the last two games. We're hoping we can get more from him. Dante Cunningham got pulled yesterday, which uh, which I'm not sure was was the right move, not necessarily because he hasn't been terrible, but just because, like, you know, you're going to have to slide in Tony Allen there, who's been playing a bit more. Uh, how is he going to fit at that position? But the, the number one question I want to ask you before we get on all this is we've been talking about Rajon Rondo coming back, you know, steadying the offense, so much of the the – training camp was built around him and being the floor general. One thing that we don't talk about is Drew Holiday moving over to the two permanently puts Etwan Moore on the bench. And while Etwan has been serviceable this season, uh, surprisingly, he's at 10 points a game in 32 minutes. Uh, last year, he was averaging about 9 and 27. So uh, a, a bit consistent with those numbers, 47% from the field, 36% from three. But Gosh, if it doesn't seem like some games, he just disappears. And I want to talk specifically about last night. 
um, when he scored four points and it just seemed like there were a lot of opportunities for him to take open threes and he just dismissed it. He just would get rid of the ball. I remember there was one transition where Jameer Nelson set him up beautifully and rather than take the shot, he attempted to drive and it was kind of clumsy because then all the players started converging on him and luckily he got fouled, which bailed him out. But how big will it be for the Pelicans offense, not necessarily to have Rondo back, but to make Etwan Moore come off the bench uh, and, and put Drew Holiday kind of in Etwan Moore's role. Well, I mean, that's also always a good thing when you get players back is that that gives you depth no matter how you do it, whether you start those three guards together and Dante moves to the back or, I mean, moves to the bench um, or Deepon moves to the bench and you have either Dante or Tony Allen or maybe if Darius is starting to continually play well, maybe he gets, ends up being that three for a while. Um, we'll see. But, um, I mean, that's always the bonus of getting another player back. Um, yeah, I don't know what's going on with Etwan. I was expecting him to be a lot better than he, he's been so far. I mean, Ollie knows that I'm a big fan of his. Um, but, yeah, that's one of those things when, when confidence starts to go, you start passing up shots you should take, you, you know, just because he's had a few really bad misses that look like clunkers, like off the side of the rim, you know, some really bad-looking shots lately. So. Um, you know, it could help him out whether he's, uh, you know, playing the three or if he's coming off the bench, you know, in, in, in a, as a guard role. But the other thing is, is like, is Holiday better than him right now, too? If you move Holiday over to the two, I don't know. You know, it's, it's just tough because both of those guys are just struggling a lot right now. And we just need one to be relatively consistent. And we should win a majority of our games with just one other player being consistent being consistently above average that's the frustrating part is that not people aren't doing that um and and we have enough guys that have in the past been good players you know like just to touch back on drew holiday a little bit you know his all-star year he was playing under doug collins who was not definitely not playing a fast-paced offense and was definitely running heavy play sets and that's the thing it's just frustrating because like the personnel that Dell Demps acquired lends itself to a little bit slower pace and running plays. But the coach that we have, you know, that's not what he wants to do. And he's not flexible in that. And that's, that's frustrating. That's why I have problems with system coaches, but I know you are more on the get rid of Dell side. I'm, I like Dell. I, I mean, he's definitely had mistakes, no doubt. Um, but to me, to me, his biggest mistake is this coach. I mean, you want to talk about how he gave him a tough roster to work with because it doesn't fit his system. But, you know, we know he was trying to land an all-star around the all-star break. We heard that they were trying to get Paul George so working on that, and that would have fit Gentry better. But he was able to get DeMarcus Cousins. That's who, the player that was available for a package that he could stomach to get to, to move to get another superstar player here. And he got that guy here. And now we have those two superstars. We have a former all-star who played in a play-heavy, slower-paced system. We have these two big guys. Adjust your strategy. Don't don't make these players play a system that doesn't fit them. We've seen how these guys can thrive. I mean, Anthony Davis thrived in a, in a slower system before he even had all these skills. And when all the attention was forced on him because of, because of the roster he had, now he has this guy that 
will draw so much more attention and give him all this freedom, but run some plays. Like that's, that's all I'm asking. Don't, I, I don't like the strategy of go fast, move the ball. Don't take mid range shots. Even that strategy is dumb to me. Like you're telling Anthony Davis not to take a mid range shot. The guy is lethal from mid range. And now you have boogie that should be around the basket to clean up anything that he misses. And all those shots should be cleaner because, People are more focused on the guy that's closer to the rim. So if AD is open for from 16, 18 feet, please take that jump shot. I mean, I don't. I just don't get the whole strategy. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit the roster. And whether you can blame that on the roster Dell assembled or not, that's one thing. But I think as a person who's been in basketball as long as Alvin Gentry has, he should know what the strengths of his players are and build a system to fit them and try to play the way he likes when it fits and work, put new wrinkles in based off of that style, but run the strength of your players. That's it's just not a difficult thing to me. And I don't understand why we don't see that happening. Ali, I'll defend uh, Gentry a bit here and not necessarily uh, about the personnel because Kevin just covered that pretty well. Uh, but as far as DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis go, they're both putting up uh, MVP caliber numbers. Uh, Anthony Davis at 27 and 13 on 54% shooting. And also that's been dwarfed due to that Portland game where he got pulled five and a half minutes into the game. And Boogie Cousin uh, at 28 and 14 on 47% shooting uh, from the field. And they've both been averaging heavy minutes. That's true. But in terms of uh, offensive rebounding, which is something both of you have brought up in the past, uh, something that I was listening to Jake Madison say, the the Pelicans defense has actually dropped from a top 10 rating last year to 18th this year. And a lot of that is due to fast break points per game where they currently sit as 18th in the NBA right now. So what happens is when you send one of your big guys like DeMarcus Cousins under the rim, then it takes him that much longer to get back to the other side. And last year we attributed it to laziness, but I don't think it's that case this year. I think it's, it's better for the Pelicans to get back and they're still fourth in the NBA in rebounding just because of how many defensive rebounds they're able to gobble up with those big guys. Uh, Ali, get in here and talk about some of the stuff that Kevin said um, about the style of play, going for the boards. What kind of things the Pelicans you think are missing on offense and defense that you hope the Gentry will change in the ensuing weeks? Okay, first of all, I don't agree with everything that Jake just said. Um, and let me let me begin here. First of all, the Pelicans' defense has been improving. I know we've played a couple of crappy teams, but in crunch times and overall, the defense, it's now ranked 11th. Um, our defensive rating is actually a better statistical number than it was last season through 82 games. So I'm not faulting the defense too much. And as far as the the offensive rebounds that we're giving up, supposedly because of our faster pace leading to a worse defense, it's not true. What you need to look at is the amount of opportunities which we give to other teams is high. There's no doubt they're getting more rebounds, more chances to score. But what you got to look at, is there efficiency on those shots? And you know what? It's low. It's among the league leaders as to where um, I want to say it's just over a point per uh, turnover or something or in opposing fast breaks. I got to look at all that because I don't have it in front of me right now. But I just do know that their transition defense is not the problem. They're just overwhelmed with the amount. Therefore, the points are kind of high. But on a per-possession basis, they're actually doing a great job of defending in those situations. So I'm not, you know, I'm not lamenting the defense one bit so far. An Alvin Gentry system, you would think, would open up more holes and create stuff. Really, the biggest thing that I've seen so far is uh, they're just not closing out on shooters. 
And watching these last couple games, to me, honestly, I think it goes back to fatigue. Uh, the Bulls and the Mavericks had so many open shots. You know what? It was simply because the guys didn't want to rotate enough. I know in that Orlando game, the, the game where everybody said Boogie quit playing, that there was a lot of problems of getting out to players, and we all thought it was effort-based um, exclusively. But now I'm beginning to think there may even been some fatigue in that game. You know, th- these guys didn't see all that many minutes. They only played, what, four games in the preseason, and suddenly they're, they're asked to play 40 minutes a game. Um, even though they're not on back-to-back, I really truly think that that that's a contributing factor, and, and that's what worries me. Thank God they've got two days off now before they play the Pacers. Um, I fully expect them to come back, come recharged, and we should see a different, more of the first few um, games type of Pelicans effort out there so where they're really energetic and such. But um, as to Gentry's system, they're executing what he's asking them. They're shooting those long shots or at the rim. Um, I agree that they definitely got to get to the free throw line more, but they're getting all those shots. And again, is it the problem that DeMarcus is shooting all these threes, or is it the fact that our role players on the wing are just simply missing way too many open shots? You know, you can look at one way or the other, and then obviously your answer is going to dictate whether you really like the entry system or not. I say still, I'm still giving it a chance. You've gone this far. The, the offense is running well when they both have energy and um, the players are able to execute it properly. But, you know, when you take one of those things away, suddenly, yeah, Gentry's going to look like the bad coach. Uh, the biggest thing is I just don't think you can change in midstream. I agree with Kevin. You should look and try and throughout the games, maybe run some more plays. That'll give the guys more of a chance to get some rest within the actual game. But other than that, you, you got to stick with what you started. Um, you're 5-5. Five and five. You're about to get some players back. Plus, you're hoping that some of your existing ones break out of their, their idiotic long-season funks that nobody can explain. So, no, I honestly wouldn't make any drastic changes at this point, Preston. Let me ask you this, Kevin. Uh, by the way, we're talking to Ali Cosell and Kevin Berry. Go ahead, Kevin. In on, the, on the offensive rebounds thing, because, like, I had this, like, I started, I don't remember how it happened, but I got sucked into some sort of uh, Twitter argument at the beginning of last season, I believe, with, those, with uh, Jake and Kumar, where I was uh, saying that we should go after offensive rebounds with having Anthony Davis and they were, you know, arguing the point that no, that because of our transition defense and our transition defense uh, was in the top 10 at the time, but our overall defense was like 28th. So like, how was that really helping your overall defense? It, it, it wasn't contributing much at all. And what you could gain back in offense is more important than that. But I also think that part of the problem in those transition numbers this season isn't that we're crashing the boards. I think it's because we're turning the ball over. Like it's not us chasing offensive rebounds that when we're getting hurt, it's we're getting hurt when we're turning the ball over and giving them an easy transition bucket. And I think that's the biggest problem. And that goes back to people not knowing where to pass the ball and, and, with Rondo out, you know, if you have a set more of a set plan and people know where they're supposed to be, the right pass to make, what's the desired shot, what's the secondary uh, desired shot on on a possession, then a lot of that goes away. 
Um, I'm going to throw this over to Ali. Before I get to that, uh, one Twitter question we had from John T. If you were the Pelicans, what do you do about the backup bigs or the lack thereof? I think we we answered that pretty well earlier, uh, that the coaching staff is not happy with Josh Smith and Chuck Diallo, and that it's imperative at this point that they find somebody, even if that just be Alexis Agenza to come in and spell some of those minutes. Uh, moving on, Ali, we were talking about some of the shots just not going in, some clunkers from Etuan Moore, Drew Holiday, and uh, Dante Cunningham. And one thing that I did want to address with you is – Right now, Drew Holiday and Dante Cunningham are second and third in highest volume of three-point shooting, and they average a combined 23%. How much of uh, making the system work is just like the law of numbers and these averages coming back up? Do you think that that fatigue is playing a factor with everyone on the Pelicans roster? For example, uh, Dante Cunningham, I'm trying to find his numbers, is averaging only 26 minutes per game, and Drew Holiday obviously is a lot higher than him at, God, where is it? There it is, 38 minutes per game. But how much of this is just waiting for these guys to go onto a hot streak? Yeah, that's just it. I mean, in the first quarters, when you see Dante barely drawing iron or making a pass out of bounds to nobody because he's flustered, he's operating in a role he's not accustomed to where he's dribbling the ball and having to look for others to possibly make a pass, that's not Dante's game. Um, and I think that may be partially affecting his shot. Um he, he last last season he was a corner boy. Anybody that follows team closely knows that, and he barely you know um, deviated from that. He had that occasional cut uh, that that always seemed to you know prosper. The Pelicans used to prosper and get points off of, but other than that, no, this this guy didn't do much. And all of a sudden this season, I don't know how many times I've seen him on the move. It seems like every time he does get the ball on the move, and he's either dribbling or in the paint. It's either a turnover or it's a missed shot. And I don't think he's made a single mid-range shot all season. When I was looking at that, you know, three or four or five days ago, he's only either made stuff at the rim or from behind the three-point line. Um, it just says a lot. This guy's not comfortable. And same goes for Drew. And we've already talked about – I've already talked about him enough. He's obviously got a confidence issue. Um, yeah, his fatigue – or he should be fatigued because he's averaging, I think, was it second most points or minutes per game so far. So, But to me, that's not a factor considering he's starting off games poorly or he's finding – you know, those bad stretches in the middle of games. So fatigue shouldn't be a factor there every single game with him. Um, it's just slumps, Preston. A couple of these guys have started poorly. Other guys are playing too many minutes. It, it, it's just this combination. And I mentioned this earlier. It, it's just this almost perfect storm that's killing the Pelicans right now um, as to why they're not getting any contributions from the role players. Seemingly each one has some kind of issue, whether ongoing or they started with one or, you know, whatever the case may be. So that's why I still think it's kind of hopeful to look at, you know, they're five and five. Hey, these guys can't stay bad or whatever's holding them down. It can't hold them down for 82 games. Uh, we're talking to Ali Cosell and Kevin Berrios on the Bird Rides on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Kevin, I don't know if you saw this last night, but I think the Pelicans scored uh, somewhere around 38 points in the first half. They were like uh, 32% from the field and 15% from three, and the Bulls weren't much better than that. But at some point early in the third quarter, uh, Jordan Crawford actually tweeted, SMHLOL. Uh, obviously, he must have been watching the Pelicans game. What was your reaction uh, to this tweet? Did you have fun with it? I did see that. I thought it was pretty funny. I mean, obviously having some some more scoring, or at least a guy who's willing to take a shot. I mean, look look at what we saw at towards the end of that Dallas game when two guys passed up open threes to, to, to get a shot clock violation. You know, like guys just stop wanting to shoot when they're when they're in slumps. And I think even Jordan Crawford, if he was in a slump, would just 
know to shoot his way out of it. That's just his mentality. So, I mean, it, it'd be nice to have him, but I understand, like, you know, they went with Jameer Nelson uh, to have more, um, you know, more playmaking. But then, again, then you bring in Josh Smith and he's not playing or contributing. So that's a roster spot that could have been a guy that you can pull in off the bench to see if he can get hot, you know. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, it's funny. Like, I, I enjoy when, when players, you know, let their personalities and their uh, their personal feelings out there. So I thought that was cool. Speaking of personalities, before we get to some questions from Clint White and Splash Mountain, Ali, uh, there was a tweet from, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not citing the source. It was on Twitter. Uh, there was a dunk that Dennis Smith threw down over DeMarcus Cousins, and DeMarcus kind of just moved out of the way. And one of these popular, uh, something highlights, uh, World of Highlights or something posted, uh, DeMarcus Cousins made a business decision by getting out of Dennis Smith Jr.'s way. And DeMarcus Cousins actually commented under and said, you're damn right, LOL. Did you get a chance to take a look at that? I did not see that, no. But I love Boogie for saying that because he's right. Boogie's not a high leaper. And if somebody's coming down the lane and has got the advantage, I mean, everybody's heard high ground wins, right? Obviously, you got to let Dennis Smith go. No, I, I totally missed that, Preston. I need to go back and look at that after the show. Yeah, it was definitely against the Mavericks, and it was posted that night. And it's something of hi- House of Highlights, maybe, uh, tweeted it and uh, got a response and an LOL and a, a smiley face emoticon or whatever it's called from DeMarcus Cousins. So I got a big kick out of that. Let's get to a question. We'll start with Ali. This is from Clint White. When Rondo gets back, can he play alongside Nelson to maximize playmaking intelligence? Or it says IQ, but. <laughs> um, I mean, alongside Jameer Nelson, you're asking? Yeah, two point guards in the backcourt. Yeah, I don't see why not. Rajon Rondo needs to be paired up with the shooter. And with his length and height, he should have no problems guarding, you know, bigger players outside of the point guard position, something that Jameer Nelson obviously cannot. So, yeah, I could definitely see that working. And, you know, I think the more decision makers we've learned so far through the season would be the best. Uh, Way too many turnovers. I think they've gotten a little bit better over the last few games in that department. But again, you know, once we start playing the tougher teams that that are going to hound you to death, um, yeah, those turnovers numbers will probably creep back up. So you're going to want to have decision makers out there. And since we haven't really had winning combinations, why not give Rondo and Jameer Nelson a shot? Kevin, would you be uh, nervous about putting those two guys back there? Jameer Nelson, I think, stands at somewhere around five foot eleven, and Rajon Rondo just isn't the defensive stopper that he was uh, about five years ago in Boston. Would you be nervous about having those two defensive liabilities in the backcourt together, or do you think uh, a competent three or like a Drew Holiday type could really uh, alleviate that stress on the defensive end? I mean, first off, I'm not ready to say that Rondo is a defensive liability. I'm willing to give him a shot and see what he looks like in in regular season before we jump to that. I mean, he's shown that he can be a really good defender in the past, and he's shown that he can not care. Um, But if you give him reasons to care, then I think, you know, you're going to see an engaged player. And I I feel like he's – I mean, he seems like he's really engaged, so I'm expecting him to be a better defender than we've seen the last couple of years. I mean, I could be wrong. Um, We'll find out. Uh, but I'm not ready to say that he's a liability for sure. Um, and as far as uh, the backcourt pairing goes, I think that can be fine. And I also think you could even play a smaller, uh, you could play a guard at the three spot with that lineup if it's the right guard. You know, you put Holiday out there with him, 
and you still have uh, Davis and Cousins, then uh, I think that could be, you know, a pretty interesting lineup to roll for, with for some time. You got some guys who can make passes, some guys that can shoot. Um, Holiday is probably best when he's guarding somebody who's bigger than him. Um, so, you know, I think that could be pretty interesting. Uh, here it is, Ali. Uh, this is House of Highlights, and this is their Instagram account. And House of Highlights wrote under the video, Boogie made a business decision, and Boogie wrote, damn right I did. Uh, so you can find that on BleacherReport.com uh, right now or on the House of Highlights Instagram account. One thing I do want to say before we proceed is Trevor Ritchie, actually, of the Bird Rice, is having a raffle right now. Uh, he's trying to get up to 50 retweets and 100 ratings on our podcast. And as soon as he does that, he's going to pick a winner and and give someone two free tickets to the Los Angeles Clippers game in New Orleans on this Saturday. So make sure that you go and you find Trevor Ritchie. That's at Ritchie TMR. Retweet him. Rate the podcast. Make sure you let him know, and he will enter you in that raffle. Let's get to our last question, and then we got to let Kevin go because he's got to head to work. This is from Splash Mountain, and they're asking our record prediction for the next five games before Rondo's return. And then he's asking a follow-up bonus question. Uh, how long can AD and Boogie last at this level of usage and minutes and coming up just to specify for you guys i'll start with kevin just in case he needs to go we've got indiana on tuesday against a spry five and four pacers then we go to the red hot raptors before returning home uh, as i just mentioned to the retooled clippers and hawks how will the pels fare in this upcame upcoming slate of games kevin and do you think we burn out boogie and ad by the end of it um well i think for one thing, I think I think the Pacers are a pretty shockingly good team this year. Like I don't think anybody expected them to be as good as they're playing. And Oladipo's been incredible, and they have Miles Turner, who's a dynamic big man, and Thad Young's a, a interesting big man. And Sabonis has been playing a lot better, and Collison's been playing a lot better than I expected. Um, and you know they have some decent players off the bench. Um, so. I, I think that's a tough win. I, I don't think we're going to get that game. I think the Pacers will beat us in that one just because, you know, some of their strengths are, are a lot of our weaknesses. And I think um, they're going to uh, – they'll beat us in their house. Um, the Raptors, we always seem to play them pretty well. And uh, it just all depends on if another guard – if a guard – is going to step up for us. We just need one guard to step up. If we can get one guard to score, I say if we get one of our guards to score 15 points in that game, we win it. If not, we lose it. Um, I'm going to I'm going to be optimistic and say that we do and that we'll win that one. Um, I think we'll beat the Clippers. We always play them pretty tough, um, and I'm not sold on uh, on them being that great this year. And I think we can frustrate. Uh, uh, Jordan and, and Griffin and get them in some foul trouble in our house. Uh, and that's the, you know, strength of their front line. Gallinari does always kill the Pelicans, though. Let's just hope that doesn't carry over to the Clippers. Um, Hawks should be a – that should be a win. If we lose that game, then that's ridiculous. And then what's uh, – we got the Raptors again, right? Oh, uh, I don't know. Here. Yeah, I only had those four. I'll pull it up. Okay. Yeah, it's the Raptors after the Hawks. Yeah, Raptors after the Hawks again here, and uh, I think uh, we. And then the Nuggets here. after that, yeah, perfect. Yeah. All right, so Kevin, you you're pretty optimistic. You have a four and one record in the next week. Is that right? With only that loss coming to Indiana. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. Um, even though, <laughs> I, 
even though I'm that optimistic about the wins, I'm still troubled about the style of play. But I just think we just have – I mean, it's just we have two of the greatest players in the game right now, and you look at how well they're playing together. So, in theory, you have a chance to win every game you're playing, and we just need one or two other guys to kind of step up a little bit, not even asking that much from from two other guys to, to you know, give you 12 to 15 points in, uh, in on efficient numbers, and we should win most of those games. Uh, Ollie, my rebuttal to that will be that with our two superstars playing at their apex at 41 minutes per game, uh, we still barely were able to manage wins against the Kings, the Lakers, the Cavs, the Bulls, and uh, it's escaping me who the last one. Oh, the Mavericks, who are currently, I think, one and nine. Uh, are you as optimistic about this as Kevin is? Uh, not quite. I'm going to give them three and two. I actually foresee them beating Indiana because they're going to have a couple days rest. And uh, Miles Turner suffered, recently suffered a concussion, so he's not expected to be fully back yet. I know no, he he's back. He played last night, and he uh, played in a victory last night. So he is back, and he will be on the floor. Was he starting? Because the game I saw, he was coming off the bench, and he had no impact. So, okay, if he's back full force, then that's going to be definitely tougher. But, again, I don't know. I, I think two days off for our guys, that, that bodes well. That Boogie and AD are going to have both huge games. Um, going up to the Raptors, I foresee a loss. Uh, I don't know, Toronto, Kyle Lowry, I always see him throwing daggers in my nightmares still. And then you've got <laughs> and then you've got the Clippers, which I think they're on pace to lose four of their last five. I, I do believe uh, they're going to lose to the Heat on uh, Sunday. So, and then Hawks, given, that's a win. So there's your three wins. And then the Raptors again. Now, I, that's why conceivably we could, you know, Kevin's right, win, go four and one. Um, if they manage to pull out a win at least once of the next two uh, times they face the Raptors here over the next five games. Yeah, Travis and Trevor and I talked about this in depth before the season, and I hold true to it. I'm not as optimistic about you guys. I definitely think we're some version of uh, three and two or two and three. I'd lean more towards uh, three and two. But honestly, I don't really care because uh, these games don't really have a, a lot of significance towards the end of the season as the next slate of games after that. Has, you know, if we drop games to the Pacers and Raptors, uh, that's no big deal. We'd like to get a win over the Clippers. But after these five, then we play the Nuggets, the Thunder, and the Spurs, and the Suns and the Warriors. Just a Western Conference onslaught followed by the Timberwolves and the Jazz. So it's definitely important that we get a couple of these wins. But honestly, if we lose a couple of games to the Raptors, uh, it's it's not going to bog me down. Uh, the the most important thing, as we said, is just coming out of this onslaught of games, some version of 500 so we can get geared up for December, January, and February when our slate does uh, get a little bit cleaner. Uh, thank you guys so much. I think we got all the questions. We're five and five, Wait, exactly. Nope. Yeah, go One ahead. Thing Flash Mountain also asked how long Canadian Boogie lasts at this level of usage in minutes. Let's quickly touch on that. Yeah, go for it. Uh, they're currently averaging 40 minutes per game. Uh, Anthony Davis is a little bit lower than that, but I'm averaging up uh, in terms of the Portland game that he missed. And DeMarcus Cousins has not missed a game yet. So uh, he would be the one that you would think would uh, gas out a little bit quicker. What's your take? Kevin, are you still with us? Uh, you go first. Yeah, I'm here. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you can't expect uh, DeMarcus Cousins to play 38, 40 minutes a game and still be as effective as he can be. I mean, he's still going to be effective. He's an incredible player. So he's still going to have, you know, 20 points, 10 rebounds every game. There's just going to be moments in games and key moments where he's going to look gassed and, and he's going to put up a bad shot or he's going to be 
he's going to slack off on defense. Um, as far as Anthony Davis goes, I mean, he, he endurance has never really been a problem for him. It's just, uh, you know, the more he's out there, the more likely, I mean, he gets hit in the face so much. It's insane how many times he gets hit in the face. It seems like every game he gets hit in the face at least three times. So like, the more you have him out there, the more chances of him getting some weird knee bump, some, uh, you know, hitting the head and getting a concussion or, you know, some other kind of weird freak injury like that. So you want to obviously not play them as much as you have to right now. I don't think it's an energy thing for AD is more as a getting banged up kind of thing with him. With Cousins, fatigue definitely affects him late in games. And um, so you need to try to jump out to leads and be able to play them less. And especially when the when the uh, I mean this current current slate. Another reason why I'm positive about this current slate is you got some pretty good breaks in there. You know, you got you play. Uh, let's see, we play Tuesday, and then we don't we play again on Thursday, then on Saturday, then Monday. You know, then Wednesday. So it's not like you you got any back to backs in there. So um, I think uh, that's going to help. But you definitely want these guys so playing less minutes. You want them to – that's the problem. You watch the Dallas game, we go up to a lead and we can't just put our foot on their throats. But we we always let them go on a run towards the end of the quarter and then and then they tighten the game back up, ties it back up, and then it makes it a, a game that you can't rest the guys. And um, those are games you should be able to rest players against uh, later on in the – you know, down the line in the game. Uh, once you put up, uh, put up some good numbers out there and put them out of their misery. Ali, uh, talk about a solution to get these guys a little bit more rest. Obviously, the coaching staff doesn't have any faith in Diallo or Josh Smith at this point. And we know that uh, they like to play these two big guys together to optimize uh, the full set, uh, the full might of their power. But this season, they've been staggering them a little bit. Try to get creative and figure out how these two guys can be on the floor at all times while also uh, minimizing the impact whenever we do give them rest. Do you stagger them completely and just pair one of them with Diallo at all times or with Dante at the four? Do you take them off the floor completely so that you can have both of them in the game at, at the same time? What's your solution to this? Yeah, that, that, that's exactly it. I mentioned this, I think, about a week ago or something where everybody was talking about you just can't stagger, you can't stagger. This team's got to go out and trade for another big man. That's all great and everything, but until that happens, I think you have to stagger them. We're already seeing that Boogie can't keep up at the, at this level of usage in minutes. Um, the Orlando game in these last two ones, he hasn't been the same guy we saw over the first four or five games. Um, so that, that's got to immediately get changed. And I think you do have to stagger the guys there for. As to who, Preston, that's a million-dollar question. you got to roll with whoever's hot. Uh, for instance, last night, it was shocking to me Darius Miller didn't come back and finish that game. Um, I don't want to criticize Alvin, you know, make it sound like I'm being overly critical. But, yeah, I think he should have been reinserted in the game late. Each one more wasn't doing anything, yet he was the one that finished. And he had a huge opportunity to uh, win the game and um, or at least give us great chances to win it before going overtime when he had an open, you know, three-point shot somewhere along the baseline, I believe, and he missed it. Um, I can't help but think that if Darius was in there, chances are that that shot may have gone in. Um, Darius played really well. And you know what? It's not just that his shot's going in, Preston, but he's also looking to be a little bit more aggressive. I know he got called for a travel and a few other things 
and that's right. And he also had an offensive foul in the other game against the Mavericks when he hit Dirk Nowitzki with an elbow to the face. But the fact he's doing this, he's actually trying to be more active and aggressive. But that all bodes well. So I think Darius Miller has to factor in. You can possibly play him at the four too. They said, you know, during the offseason, the plan was to throw Darius, give him some minutes at the power forward position. So why not go that route, hopefully against only uh, small ball units by opponents because you're otherwise going to have three guards, Darius Miller, and then one of our bigs going up against, you know, that that's not the biggest lineup. But, yeah, you've just got to get creative. you got to go with whatever's working, clicking, just go through the motions. But you got to keep throwing them out there. Last year, year before, AD Small Ball Alliance were one of the best lines the Pelicans were able to put out there. So I'm gonna stick, you know, I'm gonna stay to that theme. You got to keep trying it because they they've got no other options right now. Not until some guys start coming back from injury. Uh, thank you guys. Say, yeah, get in there quickly. Can I just say, like, there's a simple way to also do this is just slow the pace down a little bit because 40 minutes at a high pace is different than 40 minutes at a slow pace. Um, if, if also getting Cousins to pass the ball more on the break and not be the one to initiate the offense to bring the ball up. You can, you know, take a little bit of break and come up to and be the trailer and be the guy that you kick out to the for the three instead of him being the one pushing the ball up. You know, those kind of things help with endurance. I mean, it's still the same amount of minutes, but if you play a slower amount of those minutes, you know, you're not running as much then that can make a huge difference as well. All right, I'm going to pull the plug after this. We got a late question from John Porchow. I hope I didn't uh, butcher that name. Uh, I'll, I'll give it to Ali, and then we got to wrap up because we got Tom Lewis coming on the pod any moment now. After the losing streak, would Brooklyn be ready to pull the trigger on Carroll for Ashik and Agensa? And I'll add into the end, what would it cost the Pelicans to offload those two, uh, two contracts for Damari Carroll, Ali? Yeah, you got to think that they want to sell him. Uh, the fact he's started um, pretty well out of the gates, he's he's been able to be aggressive, score, and do a lot of small things. I've seen a couple of games where he's been honestly bringing that intensity, being a defensive factor. Um, in addition to his offense kind of coming back to life after that super down season last year in Toronto. So, yeah, they're going to be ready to move him, and they're not going to ask for much. They're just going to want a, a good promising pick. So just to make salaries match, I could see them um, sitting out the big, and uh, taking back, I don't want to say it would cost the Pelicans first round. I still think that's too high. Um, I'm not sure, Preston, maybe you can answer this. I don't I don't have it in front of me, but isn't Damari Carroll still have a couple of years left on his contract? Um, if so, yeah, that, that doesn't, that's not going to help the Pelicans moving past this season when they don't want to have salary. So if we were to make that trade, we would have to definitely offload our two guys, but the price couldn't be all that high because, again, it, the front office has made a clear point that they don't want to suffocate uh, future salary cap sheets with all these one-year deals this season. And by having DeMar Caro, that would, and that would hamper resigning DeMarcus Cousins as well as, as we've all seen, putting more talent on the floor with our two bigs. Because that clearly needs to happen. That clearly has to be the focus um, in seasons moving on. Yeah, I don't see why the Raptors would be interested in doing the numbers match up perfectly. He's making 15 million this year and 15.5 million next year. Uh, Ashik is making 11, and uh, uh, Jensen is obviously making five. So it would actually give the Pelicans some relief. They could use that two million to get a veteran minimum contract throughout the remainder of the season two, replacing that second roster spot that they'd be giving up. I don't see why the Raptors would do it. They have no reason to tank. They don't have their pick next real quick, year. Real quick, real quick, real quick, oh, real sorry. Quick. 
Brooklyn, thank you for, uh, we actually have to go anyway. We've got Tom Lewis coming in here, uh, but great questions, you guys. Thank you so much. Um, and I do see Carol as an upgrade, obviously. I just I just don't know what it would take to offload both of those contracts because there, there'd be no desire on Brooklyn's uh, behalf to actually accept those two players who aren't going to see the floor for them at all. Um, so it would have to be a, a pretty rich offering, uh, at least a first round pick, I would have to believe. Mm -hmm. But let's get you guys out of here. Thank you so much to Kevin. Kevin, do you have anything uh, to sign off with before we go over to Tom Lewis? Uh, no, I um, just hope uh, we start to see a little bit of tweaks to the system to get the full strength of our players out there. All right, thank you guys. Here comes part two with Tom Lewis. All right, welcome to part two of our pod, where we are talking to Tuesday night's opponent, the Indiana Pacers with Indy Cornrows, Tom Lewis. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Hey, glad to have you on. Thanks for taking the time. Make sure you guys follow Tom at Indy Cornrows. Uh, before I go any further, Tom, uh, any chance you'll be live tweeting during the game? Uh, most likely, yes. I, I'll be down at the field house and uh, covering everything uh, before the game and during. Awesome. So uh, Pelicans fans, make sure you follow those guys so you can get a get a behind the scenes look at what's going on with the enemy. And uh, again, the Pelicans face the Indiana Pacers this Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern at the Bankers Fieldhouse, as Tom just mentioned. Uh, Tom, let's dive right in. The big story in Indiana this season, of course, was the the trade that netted the Pacers Victor Oladipo and DeMonta Sabonis in exchange for Paul George. And uh, pretty much every national pundit uh, just slammed you guys and declared Sam Presti the winner of this trade. But you guys have come out five and four so far with pretty impressive wins against the Spurs, the Cavs, the Nets, the Wolves, and the Kings. Tom, how are you feeling about your Pacers in terms of what your expectations were just a month ago? Uh, well, I'm feeling great compared to where we were uh, about a month ago. Uh, you know, there was some hope in the trade that, you know, the guys they brought over might be able to help contribute and kind of help develop some kind of a core, but uh, both Sabonis and Oladipo have played uh, as far exceeded expectations, coming ready to play, really smart players, and have been a key part of a group of guys that have all put forth a, an effort that, that fans really love to see every night. And, uh, you know, obviously Paul George is a fan favorite, but he didn't bring it every night. And, you know, last year once you could tell he was – uh, thinking about greener pastures elsewhere, you know, the whole vibe around the team was just not a fun team to follow. And, you know, there were those off nights where they just mailed it in. So, so far, you know, win or lose, and, you know, they're they're going to run up against teams with uh, far better talent. And uh, when the effort's comparable, they're going to be on the short end of the stick. But you can't complain about the effort. And so, I think, you know, at this point, everybody's kind of excited that, you know, no, they didn't get whitewashed in the deal. And, and you know, the fact that even if PG stays in Oklahoma City or not, they end up getting uh, a couple of good pieces that are going to be around for a while. Yeah. Uh, and you guys had some other uh, moves over in the offseason, including uh, Corey Joseph, uh, Don, uh, sorry, I just murdered that, Boyan Bogdanovich. <laughs> and uh, also, you guys have brought back Lance Stevenson, and he's been playing uh, a lot for you guys. Talk about some of your offseason acquisitions and how they're gelling with your team so far. Yeah, it seems like everybody they brought in kind of has uh, something to prove. Another guy brought in uh, point guard Darren Collison, who was here once before and you know the the team kind of chose quote unquote uh George Hill over Collison at the time 
but he's come back and his game has matured. His whole, you know, he is more mature. He's obviously older, but um, he's been a great uh, addition. And Joseph has kind of assumed almost a six-man role, and he really actually plays in some rotations uh, with Collison and Oladipo, and they've been real successful. He's a veteran guy that just, you know, low maintenance. I mean, it seems like most of these guys are low maintenance, and they have something to prove, and <laughs> and it's, it's just has all coalesced here early. And we'll see, you know, if they do continue to have success, if that hinders anything. Uh, the one guy who has struggled has been Lance Stevenson. Um, he's shooting like he did in Charlotte. Uh, and, you know, he's really pressing. He's been a little too hyped up in games. Um, but I, I think that the good thing is that he hasn't been a problem as far as his antics, you know, with, within the team. And he wants to win. He's still, you know, prefers winning over anything else, which um, it has been always been his MO. But he, I think, hopefully, we'll see what happens here now. Miles Turner coming back, uh, Stevenson and Sabonis really ran pick and roll and, and had some success in the preseason. And so now Sabonis is probably going to go back, or he will be going back to a reserve role and being in that second unit. Hopefully that will give uh, Lance a little jump start to his game. But uh, again, yeah, all these new faces, it's amazing how, how quickly they kind of came together. But I think they all have that one thing in common, and that's, you know, the last team didn't want us. And we got something to prove, and they're, they're going out and doing that so far. Yeah, Miles Turner is your promising young stud. He's 21. It's his third season. And we were hoping we were going to get a chance to miss him. But uh, it turns out he came <laughs> back against the 76ers. And he scored 11 and got nine rebounds, albeit on 29% shooting from the field. Uh, what do you expect from him in terms of he's coming back from a concussion? Do you expect him 100% over 30 minutes a, a game and just like banging against Boogie and Anthony Davis uh, all Tuesday night? But they're going to need that, the Pacers will. But, uh, you know, you still got to keep your expectations in check a little bit. The the problem with that concussion was he was completely inactive for about 10 days. So he's, you know, kind of lost that uh, game conditioning and, and it showed up a little bit in that in Philly. But, you know, he, he was still played better than expected. And he should, um, you know, be in the starting lineup and uh and able to play but i don't know that he's going to be back to full 100 percent by uh for another you know week or so uh now one of your writers had a piece uh up uh i've got a couple of numbers for you guys uh you're fourth in offense just in terms of points per game and you're 23rd in defense uh you score 111 points a game and you give up 109 one interesting thing that i wanted to comment on just because it's on your site right now is you guys are defensively 29th against opponents in terms of uh, paint scoring. And the Pelicans are second in scoring in the paint. Uh, now, your article is literally titled something along the lines of we're uh, close to last in the NBA in paint scoring, but it hasn't mattered yet. Do you expect this to matter against Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins? And how do you think your big guys are going to plan on stopping them in the paint? Uh, yeah, it certainly is going to be a, a problem. Uh, one thing is also mentioned in the article is that, you know, that those numbers are with um, without Miles Turner in uh, six of those games, and uh, he is definitely the team's 
uh, rim defender. I think, you know, Sabonis is a pretty good on-the-floor defender uh, in the post, but he's no, uh, you know, rim protector. He's not a shot blocker type of guy. And, and that's, um, you know, coincidentally, actually, Turner's not that great a defender when he's on a man on the floor, but he is great at going and chasing balls away from the rim. So uh, hopefully his uh, return will help impact that. Now, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, in, in the paint problems that the Pelicans present, and that is going to be uh, a big, big deal because really Al Jefferson's not a guy that's going to help that at all. And, you know, he, he probably will be out of the rotation now once Turner's back, but uh, you still have just Sabonis and Turner. They're really your main big guys. Thad Young's kind of an undersized power forward, uh, and they're probably not going to play. Uh, any of the younger big guys, and PJ Leaf is out. He's a little, he's got a little size, but um, well, I wouldn't want to see uh, Boogie snap him in half anyway. <laughs> uh, he, he's got a sprained ankle. He probably won't be ready uh, for the Pelicans. But that's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be a torture chamber in there if, if uh, uh, the pitchers can't get out and run and, and make the Pelicans pay otherwise. I was just about to ask you about TJ Leaf, so thank you for prefacing that. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you before I get to some uh, predictions and how you expect you guys will match up is the Pelicans have been having a lot of trouble, not just with their second lineups, but just in terms of uh, fatiguing at the end. Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, and DeMarcus Cousins are all averaging right at around 40 minutes per game. So they come out hot in the first quarter, eighth uh, in scoring in the second quarter, 11th in scoring. And then the third, they dropped to 27th. And then in the fourth, all the way down to 28th in the NBA in terms of points. And I know that you guys uh, do better. I think you're first in the NBA or somewhere in the top three in terms of uh, points scored in the fourth period. So who are the guys who are going to be taking, who are your bench guys who are going to be taking advantage of the Pelicans in terms of like early on in the second quarter, once you see Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins uh, coming on the bench, who's leading your second unit and who do you expect to really take advantage of the Pelicans backup bigs in terms of Check Diallo and Josh Smith? Well, yeah, and really the, that second quarter has been the worst quarter for the Pacers recently. And again, that has to do with, with Turner being out and Sabonis moving in the starting lineup. So now I go back and, and, we're hoping this thing levels out and the uh, the rotation has some success with, with Sabonis and Corey Joseph. In particular, those two guys are going to be reliable guys um, off the bench that are going to be able to uh, tap at Pelicans when, uh, when the big boys are out. Uh, and, of course, the all-time wild card in Indy is Lance Stevenson. So um, the interesting thing with this game, the Pacers have been on the road for the uh, for three games. They're finally coming back. There's a lot of local buzz. There's so many people that expected this season to be a wash, and and um, between the Colts being a nightmare <laughs> and this team rising up and playing the way people love to watch uh, basketball around here, um, you know, it should be a pretty good environment um, at the Fieldhouse, and and that's where Lance is at his best. So. Um, he's going to be the wild card there. If if uh, he can get anything going along with the bonus and Joseph, then uh, they're going to have to make some hay there in the second quarter. 
Now, the Pelicans have a different, uh, a difficult slate coming up after you guys. They do get a bit of rest before they go to the Bankers uh, Fieldhouse. You guys, likewise, are pretty busy this week. You've got the Knicks tonight, and then following the Pelicans game in Indiana, you go to Detroit to face the Pistons on Wednesday, and then the Bulls again on Friday. What kind of condition do you expect the Pacers to be on? How have they been playing on short rest this season so far? Uh, well, they actually playing pretty well they um uh, just recently hit their uh back-to-back where they uh took care of the uh well they beat the kings it's kind of a half back-to-back i guess because the kings didn't have much and then they beat uh cleveland at cleveland on the, on the back half of that though and that was pretty impressive uh you talk about the fatigue of the pelicans the Pacers really haven't uh had anybody playing heavy heavy minutes they got a couple guys averaging over 30 minutes, but um, they've been spreading it out pretty well so far. Uh, one thing, I think Oladipo and Sabonis both have had issues with early foul troubles in games, and, and that's, um, you know, the silver lining of that is they haven't played heavy minutes, um, but they've been uh, giving, you know, they've had a few few games where nobody's played over 30 minutes and, you know, some of their best balls. So, uh they're, they should be pretty good here uh, condition-wise uh, for this early season stretch, but um, we'll see how uh, how much they can rely on uh, Turner now, and, and I'm sure they're kind of monitoring his minutes, uh, but uh, I think they'll be in pretty good shape otherwise. Yeah, I'm looking at the numbers right now. Thaddeus Young uh, leads your team with 33 minutes per game. Victor Oladipo and Darren Collison are right behind him at 32 and 31 and a half, respectively. Uh, just a, a bit more in Oladipo. You guys have been shooting the three ball really well. You're in the top 10. And Victor Oladipo, just through nine games, has been shooting 49% on five and a half shots per game. Uh, has he been lighting it on fire, or is this just uh, a skewed by virtue of a couple of games where he came out red hot? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, he can't possibly keep this rate up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is has been easy. I mean, he's not, you know, he's taking good shots, open shots, uh, and knocking them down. I remember early in uh, the first couple of games of uh, preseason, uh, he was struggling a little bit from behind the arc. And I, I think I tweeted out some along the lines like, well, I got to get used to it. You know, any Oladipo three being like found money in your pocket. But <laughs> he's flipped that around in a hurry. And now it's like when he misses, it's a shock. So uh, he, he's so quick and fast and, and can get to the rim, uh, either in transition or, or even just, you know, cutting in the half court that uh, he's been able to get that separation and be able to get open behind the arc. and. Um, the thing is, he he's not afraid to shoot, and he's going to get him up. So whenever he does hit that uh, inevitable dry stretch, it's going to be uh, it's going to be ugly. But hey, got to get like getting good. Uh, well, thank you for your time right now, and best of luck to the Indiana Pacers, who are currently tied for fifth in the East and do have a pretty uh, manageable schedule coming up. Like we said, the Knicks, the Pelicans, and uh, forgive me, the Pistons, and then the Bulls. So you guys should be able to go on a bit of a streak here if you guys can uh, can keep up your health. Uh, give us a prediction real quick. How do you expect to match up with the Pelicans, and what do you expect the outcome to be? Well, you know, I think we we kind of hit on it that it's if the Pelicans can, you know, pound it inside and, and uh, wear out the Pacers, 
inside, they're going to have a lot of success. But uh, for the Pacers, they're going to have to keep running and uh, keep the pace high and get that field house electric and, you know, continue to hit those threes. So I, I say the Pacers will win. I think they'll win. And it might just be one of those games where it's a race to uh, 115, 120 points, which is crazy because, you know, the Pacers traditionally here in the last few years with their good teams, you know, getting to 120 points was uh, quite rare. And now it's like, we got to get there to win. Uh, so I'll say the Pacers going to win 120, 115. How's that? All right. Well, certainly for uh, our benefit, I hope that doesn't come to fruition. But thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Uh, this is Tom Lewis of Indy uh, Corn Rose. You can follow them at Indy Corn Rose or IndyCornRose.com. Tom, tell our listeners a bit about what they can expect from your website uh, to give them an idea or, or an impression further of what to expect this coming Tuesday night. Uh, yeah, we, we are the SB Nation site and always have a great community of Pacers fans who are knowledgeable and actually pretty friendly. So uh, good to... Uh, uh, visiting fans and always have a game thread going and lots of comments on stories. Also always analyzing, you know, the latest news, injuries, updates, and, you know, some good analysis. Uh, Caitlin Cooper in particular does a great job digging into the numbers and digging deep and, and providing some stories, like you mentioned, uh, on the points in the paint piece. So uh, always, always something new. And, and fortunately with this team, there's a lot of stories developing. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Again, he'll be live tweeting on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time at the Bankers Fieldhouse. That's at Indy Cornrows. For you guys, make sure that you follow at Richie TMR. Right now, he is giving away two free tickets to the Los Angeles Clippers Pelicans game in the Smoothie King Center this coming Saturday. So if you want a chance at that, make sure you follow him, retweet, and rate the podcast. Again, you guys can expect our preview on the Toronto Raptors on Tuesday afternoon, and we're going to be recapping this game on Tuesday as well. Thank you to Tom again. Thank you to Ollie. Thank you to Kevin, our previous guest. Uh, you guys can follow me. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, at Preston Ellis, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. Let's go, pals. Thanks for listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Now, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching Bird Rights NBA Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the Bird Rights for all the best coverage on the Pels. And if you really like the show and you want to show us even more love, give us a rating and review on iTunes by searching the Bird Rights. Your support has gotten us up to 45,000 downloads thus far, a spot on Nothing But Net Radio here on the Dash, and a feature on the front page of Blog Talk Radio. Now, we'll be with you guys all season, keeping you up to date on all the latest news on your favorite team. Let's go, pals! And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> all right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. 
And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance.